Well, hey, welcome to all our campuses. Uh, we wanted to all be together today, and we're going to go a little long because this is such an important topic. You know, about eight years ago, everywhere I went in Austin, I felt God whispering, do you see what I'm doing? And I was seeing the nations everywhere. I play soccer with people from Afghanistan, Algeria, Morocco, Spain, Honduras, Brazil, all over the world. My neighbors. Uh, I know neighbors from six different countries. Do you see what I'm doing? You know, God created the Jewish nation 4,000 years ago and told them what he was doing. Genesis 12, 3, all the families on earth will be blessed through you. That's what God's doing. And Jesus came and he paid the highest price to bring together a family from all nations, right? And we talked about how the very first church was made up of all nations and languages that had descended on Jerusalem 50 days after the crucifixion. And then the risen Jesus says this to his followers, you will tell about me in the city of Jerusalem, all over the countries of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Do you see what I'm doing? He's asking me, but I think he's also asking you, do we see what he's doing? Because God is still bringing together people who learn to love God and love each other as his family, but it's a very diverse family from all nations. And that's his end game. That's what John sees in heaven, this diverse family in heaven singing, you were slain. And with your blood, you purchase for God persons from every tribe and language and tongue and people, every nation. And you've made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Yet that's not what we see on earth, is it? Not at all. Why? Well, one word, evil. Evil keeps trying to divide us, the racial, ethnic tensions, the racism, the injustice, all of it is evil. That's what's underneath it all. And, and friends, if we don't see that, clearly we can become pawns manipulated by evil through our hurts, through our pride, through our defensiveness to keep on dividing, to actually work against God. Now, ethnic racial tensions, those aren't unique to America. I mean, as I've traveled the world, you see it everywhere. I mean, in Korea, there's still deep wounds against the Japanese occupation. Uh, in New Zealand, the Maoris and the whites, you know, have racial tension. In, in Kazakhstan, the Kazakhs felt oppressed by the Russians. I mean, everywhere around the globe, because evil keeps trying to divide us. And the reason I say that is we have to remember it is not a political party or a news channel that's trying to divide us. It's evil at work, trying to pit race against race. And if we can see that, then when we start to get triggered and we start to go at each other or move away from each other, we can say, no, I will not cooperate with evil. And we can hear God's voice. Do you see what I'm doing? And will you work with me to bring together the nations back into my family? All right, but how? Well, it starts with me. You know, Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, which means through me as it is in heaven. And remember, heaven is all nations. It's very diverse, right? And so it has to start 
with me. It has to start with you. And you know, you, you've probably heard me and you're going to hear me many times talk about how amazed I am. On our last survey, 65 nations are represented right here at Gateway. And I say that all the time because I'm amazed. Eight years ago, God said, do you see what I'm doing? And eight years later, he's doing it somehow. And I want to see him continue to use us as a church to love and reach nations, bring them into his family. But we have to be prepared, which means we have to be prepared to be a diverse community that cooperates with God. That's not easy. Because there is more ethnic, racial tension, more division and disunity than I've ever seen in my lifetime. And I believe when all our human efforts are failing, God wants his church to show the power of his love. Now, I'm no expert in all this, but I'm amazed at how God has brought these amazing people onto our staff. Uh, Eric Bryant, John Ng, Marcy, Ricky. You know, Not Like Me is a book Eric wrote. It's been guiding us through this series that's really about this. John Ng introduced me and others on our staff to another excellent book called Beyond Colorblind, and John teaches a class on that. And you know, in Beyond Colorblind, uh, Sarah Shin talks about Michael, 24-year-old black American in a small group at a church, and he shares about a racial slur he'd heard that week and how it hurt him. And uh, a white woman, well-meaning in love and and kindness, said to him, Michael, when I see you, I don't see your color. I see you. And and Sarah points out that really she was trying her best to affirm Michael's humanity and dignity. And basically saying, I'm not one of those racist people who, because of color, you know, devalues or degrades you. But what Michael heard was invalidation. If you don't see that I'm a black man, you don't see me. Now, how did they miss each other so much? Well, you know, one of the human solutions uh, to racism has been this idea of color blindness. And it may be well-intended, but let's think about it for a second from God's perspective. You know, God created mankind in his own image. It says in Genesis 1.27. And if you haven't noticed... Humankind is diverse in color, in culture. And so there's something about the image of God that we learn in that diversity. So to not see or value the diversity of colors and ethnicities is to not see what God is doing, to miss something about the very image of God. And see, his plan, if you missed it, is through his church to bring us back together. And the solution is love. But love, real love, take sacrifice. Real love is uncomfortable. And you know, multiculturalism, political solutions, mandatory uh, workforce training, all that might help, but it won't help at all if there's not love. God wants us to love, to love the other created in his image. And that man is black. That woman is white. That person is Arab or Chinese. Friends, we've got to keep our eyes on the God of love in this world that is dividing so much. And remember, it's not about politics or university policy or political correctness in the workplace. In fact, all that can create greater hatred and animosity if it's forced. Love can't be forced. And God wants us to learn to love those not like us, even who were once enemies, right? 
So it starts as we realize, as humans, we were all created in God's image, which there's good, there's beauty there, but all humans are sinful and broken. And so every culture has its beauty, things about it that are in line with God's will and ways, but also broken, things that God wants to heal about every culture. So every ethnicity is beautiful and broken. And it starts with me. It starts with you understanding the beauty and brokenness of our own culture so that we, then we can value and see the beauty in other cultures. Now, I got to confess, I didn't even think about my culture until I moved to Russia and lived for a year in another culture. And at first, I hated it. I mean, they did everything wrong, right? I mean, I, I couldn't stand the way they did things. It was all wrong, because of course, it was not my way, right? And, and you know, the thing is, when you live in a majority ethnic culture, you don't have to think about your own culture. It's like a poet I, I read once said, um, you know, it's like asking a, a, a tropical fish, what's it like to swim in the beautiful warm waters of the Caribbean compared to like the frigid waters of the North Atlantic? And the fish says, what's water? Because until there's a contrast, you don't even know, you don't even see the culture all around you. You know what? By the end of that year in Russia, there were things I saw finally about Russian culture that was beautiful, and I realized that's more in line with God's kingdom than the way we do it. And I actually saw things in my culture that were actually broken, but until there was a contrast, I didn't see it at all. So listening and learning with an eye on God's goal is important if healing and unity is going to come. You know, I moved, when we got back, uh, I moved to Chicago. This is 25 years ago. And I hired the first African-American at a large white church, and we were doing partnerships in the inner city. So he took me to Cabrini Green, where he grew up. And he started to teach me, and I learned that a lot of our inner city uh, neighborhoods once were the good neighborhoods. And the GI Bill that helped World War II vets get housing, what happened was African-Americans tried to come get housing in the good neighborhoods evil used racism and greed and fear and whites started fearing their home prices would plummet because of blacks in the neighborhood and white flight to the suburbs happened causing the housing to plummet leaving behind ghettos and what i started to realize is that evil creates systemic injustices that that set up and continue on propagating evil and it's evil behind it all and so we listen to one another with a, an eye on what God is wanting to do. He wants to heal. He wants to unite. And he wants us together to fight these injustices as well. But the road paved to that is full of tension and confusion and accusation and pain and shame, as Sarah Shin points out. And so we have to invite God to be our guide. And like we talked about last week, when it gets difficult not to run, not to retaliate, but to listen in love to one another, to be patient and to forgive each other. That's how we grow up together in real love. You know, we put together a, a panel. I asked John Ng to put together a panel across our campuses uh, from staff and leaders to talk about this. And we talked about beauty and brokenness in our cultures. 
And, and I ask, we asked the panel, what do you see that's beautiful in your culture? Listen to what the panel said. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Gateway. We're excited to have you as we start this panel on diversity. And we're just going to kick it off with our first question. So what do you find beautiful about your culture and your ethnicity? And just as a quick little caveat, these individuals only represent their own lived experiences. They're not trying to really speak for an entire culture, but they may be able to touch on some things that connect to them. So I'm going to kick it off to you guys. I'm black. <laughs> I think <laughs> Thank you James. I think one thing that I find beautiful about my culture is that um, when we do come together, we come together well and we come together around um, justice and love and taking care of one another. And I think it comes from a long just generation after generation of having to survive on scraps. We have a strong sense of uh, village mentality. It takes a village to raise children. It takes a village to be a resource to one another. We, and you know, especially among immigrant communities, my parents were both immigrants. Uh, we find that, you know, villages are the way we survive. A big piece that I love about my culture is our resiliency. Um, Couple with the resiliency, because there's so much, like, I really, really love being black. It's, like, amazing. Like, it's an experience. <laughs> um, but on top of the resiliency is the fictive kinships that we create with each other. Uh, being able to go across these states and meet people and spend time in spaces, and you meet people who were once strangers, and after an initial meeting, you become family. And, um, and it's sincere. It's, it's a connectedness that you would think came from your birth family. And I think that ties back to, to slavery and bondage. But even before then, when you look at the glorious side and when we were kings and queens and the villages and the nations that we came from, it goes back that deep. Thanks, and I loved hearing a little bit about the kinship that you bring, not just to your own people and your culture, but I mean, we were just joking. Uh, you just saw my mother-in-law, you heard that she was visiting from out of town in Jersey. And immediately, Destiny was like, oh, I, I really have to go meet them. So I pointed out my mother-in-law for you, and you just basically came over, bull rushed, and gave her a big hug. <laughs> and for my mother-in-law, that was super awkward. <laughs> but it was just one of those really beautiful moments at the same time of, yeah, you, you do bring other people in to become part of the family that you have. And I love that about your culture. Um, I'm also reminded that, you know, there's this phrase, a brother from another mother, right? And I, I think it's really great that I get to experience that through you and our friendship too. Yeah, and you can hear more of the videos longer than that, but think about it. What's the beauty of your own culture? You know, I think about um, white culture, and of course I can't speak for all of American white culture, but we value individual freedom, right? You can do it. You can set your mind to it and achieve it. The American dream is yours. Go take it. And there's something beautiful about that. I mean, God does give us freedoms and responsibility, and he, and he tells us to steward and cultivate his creation, and that's beautiful. But they're broken parts as well. And we have to identify the broken parts so we don't continue to hurt each other. You know, one thing that I, I see is broken somewhat is we think me, not we. And sometimes that clashes with cultures that think we, not me. There are other broken ways that I started to see of how I grew up. 
Healing comes when we confess to God our broken ways or those of our ancestors that we grew up in. You know, that ways that have hurt others. And that way, when we admit it, we can then turn and follow God's ways. So I'll start with my confession. I was raised in a racist environment, in a privileged white family, uh, looking down on others, and we didn't know it. I didn't know it. Um, I didn't see it. It was so much of the culture. It was like the, the water that we swam in. And, and I got to say, I mean, I see it now. I see how evil and sinful it was and how much it hurt my friends now, my friends of color. And I am truly sorry because I did participate in that culture. And my father grew up poor as poor can be. His dad, uh, my father had a history of hurt. His dad uh, was an alcoholic. He was abusive. He abandoned them into poverty. My dad once got uh, attacked by a gang, held at knife point and robbed. And because my dad didn't really seek God's healing of those wounds. Evil used those wounds to turn into racial slurs. And I grew up with that. My mom, who was um, this very sweet, Christian, loving, Louisiana-born uh, lady, um, would say sometimes to, about groups, well, they're just not our kind of people. And, you know... I got, I got the message clear. You know, we, our kind, our culture's up here. Others are down here. And you know, it was just what I grew up with. It's what my mom and dad grew up with. And that's the problem, see, is that all of us come from places of sin and brokenness. So it has to start with confession, but then there's repentance. Repentance means doing a 180, going from our way or our ancestors' ways and deciding I'm gonna go God's way. And personally, I'm committed to that. Are you committed to that? Are we committed to that? And it's not a one time, it's a process, a journey we go on together. Because you know, you have your own story. Maybe your story is like mine. Maybe it's a, a history of racism and pride. Or maybe your story is of racial hurt and systemic injustice. Maybe it's caused hatred or such hurt that bitterness is formed. And you know, with all of that, we've got to seek God's healing confession and repentance. Many of us, you know, we feel scared to move closer, move toward each other for fear of being hurt or let down again or feeling guilty or attacked, or maybe it's just uncomfortable. But do you hear God's voice? Do you see what I'm doing? Will you work with me or will you work against me? You know, what's awesome is God has changed me and he keeps on changing me. I got to tell you, I'm just blown away sometimes at how much he's changed me. I have friends of all cultures and ethnicities all around the world that I love dearly. My friends that I play soccer with, I love dearly in my own family. You know, my son-in-law, I, I love him like a son. He's an answer to my prayers. He's Hispanic and German, like precise and warm. You can't get better than that mix, right? <laughs> but you know, Healing can come when we acknowledge and turn from our brokenness together. You know, like we celebrate Black History Month this month. And it's meant to, on the one hand, empower African Americans who've had a painful American history. To see the beauty and not just the, the brokenness and the injustice. But you know, as, as white people, we have a, a past history against God's ways in that, right? Slavery and oppression and ongoing 
racism. And so it's important for us, you know, together to be a a point of healing. When we celebrate the achievements of black Americans and the role they had in shaping American history and culture, honoring, you know, not only the Rosa Parks and Harriet Tubman's and, and Martin Luther King Jr.'s, who, by the way, worked against, you know, uh, systemic injustice and worked for God's kingdom, right, to help us be more like that, but also folks who form culture, Louis Armstrong, Marian Anderson, Jackie Robinson. When we see the beauty and the brokenness of the past, we come together and God can heal us together and head us toward a greater future. But it's not without challenges. Listen to how the panel talked about this. Um, I'm going to just transition us now into our second question. Uh, This one is one in which we're just going to pay a little bit more attention to the stuff that's around us, right? So we're all very much aware of the brokenness and the division that exists in our country and even inside of our communities here in Austin. Uh, I think about the, you know, march out in Virginia, the continued loss of black and brown lives at the, at the hands of some of our police, and we also love our police at the same time. You know, they're sworn to protect us. And then there's rhetoric on both sides of the political aisle that seems to continue to divide us as a community. And John spoke about this earlier today, but this vision of this coming kingdom of God, where all nations, all tongues, all tribes, all nations will one day be one, just seems so far away, right? So how do we pursue that vision that God's given us as a church, and what barriers have you encountered? And Vicki, I'd love to hear from you first. I mean, I think um, one of the things that's really, really important is just individual things that we can do, just being kind, being a friend, uh, listening. Um, I had opportunity to talk to uh, an old friend um, who was raised in a very racist environment, and um, we were talking about justice, and um, uh, she was telling me that um, her, um, excuse me, she was telling me that she uh, that, that racism was bad. And I said, is it any better now that you're older? And she said, no, I, I think it's worse. And I said, really? And she said, yeah, I'm, I'm afraid for my grandsons to walk down the street. And that was, that was very eye-opening for me. And then um, we also talked about um, how um, she had a relative who had uh, been murdered. There was no justice. There was not even an investigation that, that was done um, uh, for this black family. If I could just speak to this, I think the, if anybody's listening, um, what, what shouldn't happen is this sense of guilt. Well, now I'm going to be ashamed, and so I just won't say anything, uh, especially if maybe you're in the majority, in the white majority. And, and that's really not, not ex- what we're saying at all. And then there's another extreme that would say, well, I gotta, I gotta defend what, I'm not like that, I'm not racist, I gotta defend myself, I'm gonna email everybody on that panel and let them know how I feel. And that's not what we're coming to either. I think the space where God wants us to operate is bring our biases, bring our brokenness, even the racism that we don't see that's inside of us, and bring it to the table and say, can I learn something from you? Each of us saying that, can I learn something from you? Um, is, is asking of ourselves to do the virtues that I demand from society exist when I look in the mirror. Yeah, I think that's really, really good, Ricky. I think it's really important because, you know, when, when I think about 
Um, there, I think there is a reactiveness in white culture. I can speak for myself. When I think about some of the things, you know, some of the conversations we've had or I've been in, if I'd had them 20, 30 years ago, I would not have gotten it at all. And I would be going like, huh? You know what? There, there's no big deal here. Sarah Shin, we read uh, this book, uh, Beyond Colorblindness. And she gives a great analogy in it, I think, that um, when white Americans go to talk about our culture or ethnicity, we don't, we don't do that. You know, so we are very individualistic. So we're not, we don't have language about it, and you don't really have to talk about it unless you're kind of forced to. So we don't think much about, well, what is my culture? And then the first conversation sometimes is, uh, is negative in that it's like, well, it's been oppressive and it's this and it's race, you know, racist. And, and so I think we get defensive real quickly. And for me, um, over the years, listening and starting to understand story has helped start to go, okay, you know what? I see things a particular way. It's not the same as your experience. And that's okay. It's like, my experience is not the only one and not the right one. You know, I mean, God gives us moral, you know, right and wrong, but we have cultural experiences that are just different. The last couple months, it started around November, early November. Um, I'm not even sure why, like God hasn't really revealed that to me, but um, I went through a lot of racist encounters. Um, like over Thanksgiving, I was in a neighborhood and I walked out the door to walk down the street. I made it two houses down, turned around because it was too cold, went in the house, <laughs> turned around and the cops were already outside. And they were outside because someone called them saying there was a suspicious black man in their neighborhood. Um, and what was suspicious? My skin. Yeah. That's it. That, that's all they needed as a qualifier. Um, but then, I mean, other things happen. Like and and, and, and this, is not, this is not to bag on the cop. We have wonderful police officers here, and, and they deal with a lot of stuff. But it's just that I had to start to realize you've had experiences, I've had experiences, but they're different. And, they're, and to listen and to start to understand. I mean, just within the last few months, I've been called the N-word more times than I can think about. Um, like this, this stuff is not dead and it's not going away. So like I was at Exxon, I'll never forget this. And I was pulling into the gas pump and I cut this guy off. So I backed out to be nice and let him in. He rolled by, he rolled down the window and he said, um, you want some bananas monkey? It's crazy that these things keep happening. But what's crazier is that I don't feel anything when they happen. Yeah. Like, I'm desensitized to it from the frequency of it. Yeah, and that is just so, so tragic. I'm sorry that that happened to you. I think we all feel horrible that that's part of your lived experience. And I think what John is really capturing here is, like, the fact that there are a multiplicity of narratives and experiences. Like, for some of us, I think even for me growing up, cops represented the good guys, right? But for some of us, it's actually the exact opposite. And it's just because we lived in different spaces and we grew up with different stories and we encountered very different kind of outlooks, right, as, as we were going through life. 
So I know, Marcy, we haven't heard much from you. I'd love to hear um, some of your kind of back and forth and thinking on this, too. I've lived a world in a world where I spent the summers in an all-black community and my school year in an all-white community. Um, so there's a lot of code switching when you grow up that way. And it's a hard undoing. It's a really hard undoing. And it's really hard as a mother when you're raising your kids because you want to keep them safe. But I might not do everything that I know I'm, I have a right to do because I want to survive. So if I get pulled over, I may know what the rights are, but my first thought is what's going to get me home? Right. And that's how I'm training my teen because she's about to start driving to perform because I want her to make, I always want her to make it home. I never want that call. She's not going to be home. And um, there are a lot of parents that have lived that reality, and it's a reality. John, I want to touch on that word privilege because uh, I think Marcy did it. it. Privilege just doesn't mean coming from wealth or being resourceful, but just having not to think about things that we just described. I'm an immigrant. My family came over here in 1980. We escaped Vietnam. I had to learn English. And I was teased and made fun of because I didn't know what the word ketchup was. So as a kid, I vowed that I would do everything that I could so that I would not be teased. And so when I'm out and about with my loved ones or with strangers and that wound is triggered, it's my responsibility to understand that. But as the family of God, it's our responsibility to care. You know, to care. Do I care that Q still feels some of that hurt? You know, do, do I care that James regularly gets racial slurs? Do I care that Marcy really is afraid for her kids? And, and what do we do about that? Do I own my own broken part from my culture? Whether it's unhealed wounds that trigger like Q was talking about or whether it's culture wounds that keep on hurting others. When we confess our part and then we turn from those ways, maybe even of our ancestors to say, God, I'm going your way and we come together in it, God heals us and he starts to do something beautiful and it is beautiful. And let me speak to people of color or those of you from other nations here for just a second. You know, if you have felt on the outside looking in or you felt marginalized, and especially here at Gateway, forgive us. Please, I truly believe that God brought you here for this time. That you are so important to what God is wanting to do here in our city and through our church to love and reach the nations and call them back. And your voice, your leadership matters in us seeing God's kingdom come. And let me say to, to my culture, you know, I know some of this may have been really hard today. Uh, I know the word privileged right now may feel like a racial slur, um, and we react defensively. But you know what? That doesn't help, actually. And I want to kind of try to reposition that because it doesn't have to be 
a negative. Jesus was privileged. Privilege is influence. And privilege can be used to lift others up. It can be used in a healing kind of way. You know, Jesus came from heaven. That's privilege. To live among an oppressed, marginalized people. And then he was a privileged rabbi Jew who looked down, the, the Jews looked down on the Samaritans, yet Jesus goes to the Samaritan woman and, and values her and dignifies her and points her toward God's family and God's gift, right? Let's follow Jesus and do the same. Let's turn privilege not into something that's a negative, that we live in a majority culture. You don't have to feel guilty about that, but it's a responsibility to lift others up. And so practically, what are some things we can do to bring hope together? Let's listen to what the panel had to say. So just to wrap us up, we're gonna land on this last question. What does it look like for us to actually work for hope, right? To practically move into spaces where we can be the kingdom of God to each other. So I'd love to hear some of your thoughts around that, guys. If we can create spaces in which people can have safe but very real conversations like this and where we can learn how to have these conversations, learn how to detect our own biases, right, and our own, how our own narratives conflict with someone else and how they make us feel uncomfortable. Um, if we can have spaces like that, especially in church, with Christ-centered discussions that teach us that Jesus and Christianity transcend language, transcend countries, transcend patriotism, they transcend everything. It transcends even our sin and our own brokenness. If we can have conversations in spaces that unite us, that are guided, I think we can make some amazing headway collectively. You know, I'd like to follow up with a question on that because I do think... um, it would be helpful maybe for those of us who grew up in white America uh, to hear, especially as we're thinking about, all right, how do we see the kingdom of God more come alive in, in our church and in a diversity of, and hopefully reach many people from many nations, right? But what could someone like me do that would be helpful and healing? Because I think so many times white people feel just stuck like, like I said, don't often think about this unless forced to, and then it's usually a negative conversation. So guilt or, or you know, kind of reaction, but give us a different path. Just one quick sentence. I would say, uh, before you become a keyboard warrior, start listening to the people around you that don't look like you. No perfect people allowed, right? The perfection, it cripples you. And I would rather attempt on the road to redemption than no attempt at all. And so when you're in that space and you're going back and forth and, oh, should I, or I can't, or I'm nervous, or I can't, you're not perfect. You're going to make mistakes. And the mistakes, especially in this space, when you're talking around diversity, race, culture, it is a systematic structure that was created as a conundrum to never be unconund, if that makes sense. (laughs) Right? It doesn't want to be undone. So it wants you to be frustrated. It wants you to not lean into it. It wants you to be like, you know, hands up, forget it. I think one last thing uh, in regards to um, just the anger that we see in this world. Um, I've learned from recovery that anger is actually a secondary emotion. It's not a primary. And it's really rooted from a uh, sense of fear, sense of shame, uh, pain. 
And so I would encourage um, us to look within ourselves. And when we feel that sense of anger towards uh, a, a brother or sister that looks different, that thinks differently than us, what is that anger coming from? And what is that primary emotion? And I believe if we can speak to that and heal from that, that then we can then be able to step towards our brother and sister in Jesus' love and be able to show the love that Christ is asking us to show That's towards good. one another. That's good. All right. Well, hey, I just wanted to thank each one of you for the wisdom and the stories and just the vulnerability and courage that it took to be a part of this as we continue to grow more here at Gateway. You know, regarding the, the biggest racial ethnic tension of Jesus' day, the Jews and the Gentiles, it says, for he, Jesus, is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. You know, in our ethnically, racially divided world, we can be a light. Let's pray that God does that through us. And let me give just a, a few uh, practical tips. First of all, be curious. Learn, you know, and I'm, I'll give you a few ways that you can learn in just a second, but learn about, about other cultures. And then second, be empathetic. You know, it says rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, it says in Romans 12. You know, my friends of color tell me that... Um, so much healing happens when there's just empathy. That's how you heal grief. And so much of this is just grief, just loss. And so when we're in it together and we just, you know, like John modeled, we just say, I'm so sorry that you went through that. Shouldn't be that way. It brings healing. And then third, be a lifter. You know, be someone who lift others up, especially those of, of, of a different ethnicity, you know, or... Or maybe uh, if you are a person of color, maybe it's even the police, you know, to reach out to police who most of them are wonderful people who lay their lives down to serve us. They're willing to do that. And so would we reach across and lift others up, engage, eat a meal, encourage, bless, value, tell those people what they're worth to God and to us. So a couple of ways you can take advantage of just learning and be curious, curious right now. Um, Call to Unity this Wednesday night at 7 p.m. right here. We're inviting all uh, campuses to a night of prayer and reflection and worship. We're really asking God to use us to heal together and unify us together. Be here for that if you want to be part of the solution. And then second, you can sign up for John uh, Ng's uh, class, Color Beyond Colorblind. Uh, go back. Beyond Colorblind. Uh, registration is right now. And then third, you can watch the entire uh, video. It was about 40 minutes that we talked, and you can see that out on gatewaychurch.com slash diverse community. All right, I'm going to turn it over to our campuses now. And here north, as the band uh, leads us in a song, I want us to just think, 